Welcome to the Los Links Talk Show, everybody. It's the middle of the summer. Well, we're getting close to the end of the summer, actually. And uh, the Links have been off for quite some time due to the Olympic break. It's a special part of uh, the WNBA season every four years. And uh, the break is over. Links are about to get going again. The WNBA is about to get going again. So it's time to uh, get back into professional women's basketball. And, um, you know, to reset and to restart, um, we're bringing on a very special guest for, I believe, his second appearance here on the Los Links talk show. You know him from Windsider. They got the Windsider show. So that's another podcast you need to be subscribed to. And then also uh, the Windsider film room is another amazing thing they do over there and over on YouTube, breaking down game film with the WNBA players themselves. From Windsider, he's a Minnesotan at heart, uh, living over there on the east coast of these days. Everybody, welcome to the Los Links Talk Show, R.E.A. Schwartz. R.E.A., you're here. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. In my mind, I've been on the show a million times. So. Uh huh. Yeah, you're just always talking along, and that's yeah. and you're just in the <laughs> show. That's very uh, that's very nice of you to um, to you know join uh, w- with the recording this time around. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> I won't be uh, alone in my mind talking. There you go. But yes, Aria, good to, good to talk to you again. Um, you know, uh, Windsider is uh, is you know continues to grow, which is very exciting, and I love seeing what you guys are doing over there and subscribing to the podcast. And like I said, the the film room is super cool. I, li- I like that you're doing so many things these days. So I don't know. I guess uh, before we dig into some of the Olympic stuff and some of the link stuff, like. What's uh what's the latest over at Windsider and tell us about what you got cooking up over there? Yeah, uh thanks for plugging the uh the film room. Honestly, I personally uh think it's a really really cool thing that nobody else uh really does. We have like you said, we have players come on and they break down the film of their own game and kind of explain what goes through their mind because I think for us the fans, for us the media, we sit out here and often we think of what they should do and then critique them for not doing it. But I always enjoy to kind of pick the brains of these much more intelligent people uh, and think of, okay, what did they want to do and then critique them on that. So it gives us kind of a a glimpse into that. We've got our power ranking um, just came out today as of our recording. I don't want to date us too much, but uh, (laughs) the latest power ranking did come out today. Uh, to kind of get us prepped back for the the rest of the season. And for you Lynx fans, I'll give you a little sneak peek. There's a film room coming up shortly, soon, in the next few weeks, hopefully, uh, that, or, yeah, I should, before the end of the season, uh, that will feature a Minnesota Lynx player. So get excited for that. I can't give away too much more than that. Uh, We got some exciting stuff, and I'm, I'm just excited to talk about the WNBA again. It's been a long, much needed break, but a long break. Yeah, yeah, totally, and that's exciting to hear. There's a there's a Lynx player coming around the corner here on Film Room. That should be fun. Um, but yeah, that's like you said, you're the only one doing that, and you know, Windsider is the only one doing a lot of things these days uh, on the WNBA side of things. So go check out Windsider. All their offerings. We'll link them up in the show notes 
for sure. But uh, yeah, that's 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 cool. And uh, yeah, we are we're, we're getting back into it. It's very strange to have have such a you know what, like a five week break, something like that happening right in the middle of the season. Um, you know, and it's especially it's just it's so it's it's weird because you just got to stop everything and just you know it's I've I've never covered a season like this before I started. Uh, well, I guess in well, when was the last Olympics? Last Olympics would have been in 2016. Yeah, um, that would have been a Rio. So I think I started covering the team in 2017. So right after that, so yeah, very. You different. planned it and, just for that. I know. I was like, I'm not going to cover one of those Olympic seasons. Let me get in <laughs> here in an odd year. But uh, yeah, 2017. Uh, so yes. Yeah, so it's definitely strange to have to kind of restart and, and, and start thinking again about, you know, the W and all that. But, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started recording and neither of us really watched too much Olympics. But it is notable for the Lynx because they had uh, four players out there. Um, of course, uh, you know, Sill and, and Collier and, 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 you know, Coach Reeve, um, you know, there for, for the U.S. But then um, as well, we had um, a Chanwa and uh and uh, uh, who else do we have over there? Carlton, Bridget Carlton, BC, uh, playing for Canada as well. So four teams there, as we know, Fowles, Collier, uh, Reeve, USA wins gold. Um, and Canada, unfortunately, was eliminated in the group round. They didn't even make it to the medal round. Uh, but Chandra played a little bit, which is interesting because she had been out for many weeks before that uh, with the injury. So this is her first kind of game action in quite some time but she played 24 minutes a game so she got out there quite a bit uh and, and Carlton was second on the team in minutes and scoring and stuff like that I think so you know those two players played a lot but Canada didn't see the team success they had hoped for but uh I don't know Ari, Ari you said uh, you didn't watch much but any any takeaways from from what you did watch with the Olympics or just uh overall thoughts on uh, I guess the historic um, uh, seventh, I believe, uh, gold medal uh, from Team USA, uh, the women's basketball team. Yeah, regarding the the Team USA, I mean, props to them. Yeah, the I feel like the gap is slowly closing in um, uh, from other teams, but also I'll be completely blunt. Once Liz Cambage announced that she wasn't going to be playing, I fully anticipated that uh, USA was going to win, and it wasn't even going to really be a competition because right. I think. They are just that much further advanced than any other team. But that that gap is closing year by year by year. Uh, we saw that, I think, at least just by some of the play of the other teams. For me, I think, you know, in, in the grand schemes, it's one of those things where there's some issues, but nothing's really going to happen until they start losing because, you know, why break or why fix something that's not broken? Regarding the Lynx specifically, I think it was a huge opportunity because, I mean, you know, as we record, the Commissioner's Cup already happened. We saw what happened in regards to uh, the Storm having lots of players playing in the Olympics versus Connecticut who didn't. And I feel like you were on one side of the coin, right? You either believed that they were, if you played in the Olympics, you're going to come off a little soft, a little slow, a little jet lag. But if you yeah. didn't play in the Olympics, you know, you either believe that or you thought, okay, they were warmed up, so they're going to continue this hot streak. Um, you could argue that, you know, Canada wasn't hot, so they're not going to continue the hot streak. But I just think any time that you have um, less of a prolonged period of time without playing competitive basketball is a good thing. You know, to have those players on Team Canada, to have those players on Team USA where, heck, honestly, Sill and Fee didn't play that much. And 
I can only think that it's a good thing that they can benefit from it in the simple sense of they didn't over like they weren't overworked. Neither of them, you know, Canada because they didn't go so deep, uh, and Fee and Sill because they just didn't play many minutes. So they weren't overworked, but they stayed warm. So in my mind, it's kind of like, you know, during this whole break, the Lynx were on the proverbial bike on the sidelines, just ready to to hit the <laughs> second half. I, to be fair, thought Connecticut was going to win last uh, the other night. So maybe I'm completely wrong about this. Yeah, yeah, it's the the classic rest versus rust kind of uh, argument there, and you know what, uh, which one wins out, you know, is is uh, you know kind of up in the air there. But yeah, I think it's interesting, yeah, that you point that out because yeah, there was you know uh, there's a lot of other players on Team USA that played more than Sill and especially Collier. I mean, Sill started, you know, she she in the earlier in the tournament and I think in some of those exhibition games, she was kind of like the backup five and maybe played more like half the game. But then it seemed like as the tournament went along, it was more like Tina Charles was playing kind of more of that backup five role and Fowles was kind of, you know, not not playing quite as much. I think she averaged, you know, kind of more in the teens for minutes. And then Collier, you know, she's the youngest player on the team. She's, you know, her and Atkins were kind of the two that were, you know, on the on the outside looking in there as far as really only playing in, in garbage time and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, they were on the team. They technically were, uh, you know, won the medal, but uh, you know, they didn't they didn't play a lot in in those games. But um, you know, which is to be, you know, you have twelve players. You can't really. I mean, you can play them all, but a lot of teams, you know, only play you know eight, nine, ten, something like that. So, you know, they still got the experience and still got to do it but to your point they didn't have to play big minutes and and really wear out their bodies that much they just had to you know make the long trip out to Tokyo and you know do all the training necessary but you know I think every player whether you were in the Olympics or not you know you kept your body in shape you win you you know did workouts you did some uh you know skill development hopefully played some scrimmages and stuff like that so yeah it should be interesting to kind of compare some of the players who did play in the Olympics versus those who kind of just chilled at home and, and worked on their game a little bit to kind of see how they play, how they look coming out of this break here for the first few minutes, uh, your first few games. And uh, yeah, the Lynx will have four players there to look at. So yeah, that should be pretty interesting. And, and to your point about the, the rest of the world catching up again, I didn't watch too much of it, but it seems like it's kind of a slower catch up and, you know, there's just not enough. Uh, there's not one team that really has enough, WNBA quality players uh, kind of collected together where they can really give the USA a you know a good shot. I mean, you mentioned Cambage and Australia. That yeah, yeah, especially with the bigs like Griner just dominated every single game. It's just like the, no team has really anybody who can match up with her, especially if Cambage isn't going to be in the playoff or in the in the tournament. So I think until there are some other bigs that can really, uh, you know, from other other countries. I mean, who, does Magmagor play for Australia as well? Is, is, she does, but, I mean, if you just look at it in the sense of even even Ezzy, I feel like, is, is too small. I mean, yeah. she can hold it down a little bit, maybe. But if you just look at, I mean, Brittany Griner in WNBA, in overseas basketball, in all the different forms that she plays – you know, the players who are able to stand toe-to-toe with her, it's a very short list, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Sylvia Fowles, it's um, it's Jonquil Jones, it's Liz Cambage, it's Natasha Howard. I mean, all those people. It, yeah. What Like, what other country, you know, obviously, okay, Jonquil Jones, but what 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 are the major countries have who, like, who, which major country, I can't talk, 
has a, has a five that is that much of a dominant presence that can yeah. go toe to toe. All these other countries have found ways to close the gap in every other position, but there is just something about. I mean, when you have Tina Charles, Sylvia Fowles, and Brittany Griner as your bigs, Sheesh. and Asia, and I'm not even talking about Asia Wilson. Yeah, don't or forget. Yeah, Stewie. they're just like fours in this conversation now. Like that's even yeah, the size just gets shifted down. <laughs> yep. And and but the thing that I'll say is like. You know, the the skill set of the WNBA players for Team USA is that, oh, you want to play some small ball? Cool, we can have Stewie and Asia out there along with Brittany Griner if we really Crazy. wanted to. And basically we can, you know, match the European style or the overseas style of flex bigs, but then also play into our big. So you get the best of both worlds. You get to play that more up-tempo, high-paced basketball, still have size. But then if you want, you can literally just bang it down low. I mean, yep. it's going to be tough for anyone to beat Team USA for a while. That's right. Let's see how many uh, how many gold medals they can get in a row. Eight, nine, ten. Who knows? Let's wrap ten. Ten. Let's get I to want ten. ten. I want ten. Let's do it. Let's. That should be, you and that's, me. <laughs> that's the new goal. Yep. We're gonna we're gonna run the team. We're gonna pick the players. It's on. Going to pick the coach. It's all happening. All right, Olympics. They're in the rearview mirror. We're looking forward now. We are, we are back to professional WNBA basketball right here. And um, yeah, we're 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 starting up again. And you know, it's not really the halfway mark. It is. It's about the two third mark. I would call it. Uh, just about every team has played uh, 19, 20, 21 games out of thirty two. So not many to go, right? Most teams have about a dozen games to go. Lynx, they've played 19, so they have 13 games to go. And as we record this, they are 12-7. and seven. And uh, before the break, they won seven straight. Haas team in the league, they're fifth in offensive rating, fifth in defensive rating, and that gives them the fourth best net rating in the league. Um, so they're sitting, they're sitting pretty after, after starting 0-4. Uh, you know, now they've uh, <laughs> they've gone, uh, you know, 12 and three after that. So a really good um, looking team going into the break. But, you know, the big question is, can they continue this? Right. Like some teams playing poorly couldn't wait for the Olympic break to get here. The Lynx probably preferred that they just keep finishing up the season right the way they were planned. But instead, mm-hmm. nope, you got to take five weeks off and kind of reset here. So. Yeah, let's talk about, you know, if we think they can continue how they were playing and sort of like what we saw from them maybe in those, you know, in those couple of weeks preceding uh, the Olympic break to, you know, give a, you know, give give fans, you know, hope that this could be a, a title contending team potentially. So I don't know. What do they have to do to continue, you know, their their pre-break run and, and, and sort of where do you see this team as we uh, restart the WNBA season? I think they're in a great position, honestly. Just if you look at the schedule, right? Okay, we can talk about the Mystics possibly having Deladon back, uh, getting Maisha back, possibly getting Emma to come and join the team. They get to play that team twice, right? That's a team that has struggled in the first half. Mm -hmm. They're also going to play the Indiana Fever, the worst team in the WNBA, three times. Three times in a row. (laughs) And, and, And so now I... An argument could be made that playing a team three times in a row does, you know, pose its own challenges, right? It's kind yep. of, it's it's hard to sweep a team yep. um, just because you learn different things. You try different things. It is right before the end of the season, too. So it's completely possible that the Lynx have, you know, secured a spot and yep. aren't fighting. I don't anticipate that. I anticipate that they will actually be 
in the fight for a top three position. Mm-hmm. And if that does happen, and I expect it to be as close as it will be, then, I mean, you're playing to the final gun just so, you know, you can maybe get that that double buy. Yep. But I just think looking at the schedule, all right, yes, you have to play the Sun twice. You got to play the Storm once and the Aces once. So right there, that's four games that I think are toss-ups, right? Those yep. are four games that are acceptable to lose mm-hmm. in my mind. Also in my mind, it is unacceptable for you to lose to the Liberty, lose, and you play them twice. It's unacceptable to lose to the Sparks, and you play them once. Um, You know, the Sky, I don't know which Sky team uh, we're really going to see. But I think when you just break it down to kind of games that as an analyst, as a fan, whoever it is, as someone who watches the W... There's games that you just expect them to win. You don't care if it's a blowout. You don't care if it's a one-point thing. You just expect them to win. And when you look at it from that simplicity, which obviously is overly simplistic, but when you do it in that sense, that's a good sign for this team. And I did, uh, you know, shameless plug for the Windsider show, Rachel and I, Rachel Galligan, um, we did a whole thing where we looked at the top four teams in the league and we looked at their remaining schedules or maybe it was the top five teams. And the Lynx are just in a really, really good spot um, because a lot of these teams, like Chicago, hasn't played the Storm, haven't played the Aces. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you're saying, there's lots of teams in that mix, yeah, that still have a tougher schedule for sure. The Lynx have you know, kind of had their had their tough tough uh, opponents kind of already uh, behind them. So yeah, to your point, that is uh, that's an interesting part uh, to, when you're looking at the links and looking at where they might finish the season. They they do have the schedule on their side on paper, at least. You know, obviously, lots can happen. But you know, I think another thing that's huge here is with this break. You know, they, uh, as we joked, you know, hey, the Links want to keep playing going into this break. But at the same time, they had a couple injuries, and um, you know, having having a you know a month off, five weeks to you know get things right, you know, could could go a long way. We already talked about Natalie Chanwa, um, you know, her injury, I believe, to her knee. You know, uh, kind of must have healed up most of the way, at least for her to play for her country. So you know, she played 24 minutes a game out there in the Olympics in, in Tokyo. So that's a good sign. You'd like to think that she can uh, hopefully continue to um, at least be available to play some backup center minutes and and get back uh, you know on the roster there and then Ariel Powers is the other one a little bit more of an unknown um, she had the you know the, the hand injury uh, I forget it was like a ligament or something like that like in her thumb or something like weird right so, after she came back from the hamstring yeah like, yeah oh, she thinks she's only rough. played four total games so um, you know so that's another one that I think might that one might be a little bit you know maybe a few more weeks we haven't heard anything from the team but you know she's uh, I guess just been rehabbing and you know trying to keep the cardio going and stuff like that but you know hopefully you see her get back into the mix maybe that'll be more of a September thing. Um, but that's a good thing for the Lynx anyway, as far as having these two kind of bigger injuries that now they have some time to get back in there. So I think that should be um, something to look forward to. And then I think the Lynx, though, have – it's interesting because especially with Powers, I mean, that was one of their big offseason acquisitions in free agency. But, you know, they've kind of found – obviously winning seven in a row, you found something. But I think a lot of it has to do with their big starting lineup. I mean – I don't know if Powers was actually envisioned to be a starter. I think it was maybe one of those, well, we'll see how it goes type of situations. We'll see how training camp shakes out. But, um, you know, with the Lynx, you know, going fouls, Dantas and Collier in the starting lineup, 
to me, that has really, um, you know, kind of been the big key to to that stretch. You know, in addition to Clarendon playing well and K Mack hitting some shots finally, you know, just having that big lineup and there's not many other teams that can really roll with you um, when you have those three. The the, the mismatches, um, the advantages you can cause, especially with Fee at the three. I think you know that is that is something that I feel like they have. They've really been able to hang their hat on getting more rebounds, getting better defensively. So I think I'm going to be looking at that too because it seems like that was set and it seems like that's the way they should go for the rest of the season. Even if Powers is able to come back, um, you know, I think that could be in a you know a six six woman off the bench type of situation. But uh, yeah, looking at the lineups, looking at that big lineup, I, I really think that was a huge part of their success, and it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that going. Oh, totally. And I think you know not only that but how those players have been playing because i'll be blunt dantas was mia for the first quarter of the season right mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. fee you know had some struggles at points and, and and defensively it was abysmal and obviously Leja claret joining the team has done tremendous things uh just for the cohesion of this team the defense like so many different elements to that but honestly the the Dantas aspect of her going from having a breakout, I don't even want to use the term breakout season, but just a great season in the bubble last year to coming in this year um, and just not performing at that same level. But once she started performing at that same level, that opens up the whole court for everybody else on this team. It allowed a little bit more confidence uh, in the team at least visibly, right? I'm not saying this based off of like a, some source or some private yeah. interview, but like it looked like to me once Dantas started to hit her shots and, and, and her game was flowing better, that gave the team much more confidence in everybody else. That gave the team much more confidence to let K-Mac shoot. I think there was a quote at one point from K-Mac earlier in the season about, you know, not feeling like the team really trusted her. There is a quote from, Cheryl Reeve early on in the season about, um, you know, nobody wanting to play hero ball or everyone playing hero ball. Like one of those two where there wasn't that idea of that player's hot, so I'm going to feed it to them. You know what I mean? Or, hey, I'm hot. I need to take over right now. Um, And when that starts working, that allows you to feed the ball to Sill down low. That allows Fee to, you know, have her pick the litter of what type of play that she's going to run. And there's just been so and and that then allows you to put Rachel Bannum in a position that she can be successful mm-hmm. to put, you know, Crystal Dangerfield in a position that she can be successful. She's coming back from injury also, which is a big one um, or maybe not injury, bang, bang up, whatever you want to call. Yeah. I, I just think that like Dantas was that first domino that like, yeah, they had gotten some wins and she still wasn't at that level. But once that domino fell, once her game really was solidified, now we've seen, you know, the K-Mac that we wanted to see for this team. Now we've seen the Rachel Bannum that we've wanted to see for this team. And and you can literally go down the list of this roster and say that. And and it's been really impressive. But I want to flip it on. I want to flip it on its head and ask you, like, 
What do you think the difference has been? Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, to your point about Dantas and the, the Dantas Domino there, I like that. The, the, the DD. Oh, I didn't even Dem- think about that. The I like Demiris that Dantas Domino, the triple D right there. Um, you know, I think it's about, you know, it's kind of a sports cliche, but, you know, athletes are, um, you know, they, they thrive on consistency and knowing what their role is and this kind of thing. And I think for Dantas, every single year seems like she has a different kind of role. Even going into this year, I mean, she probably thought maybe she was going to be the backup five. You know, I don't know. She probably thought she was going to come off the bench more, depending if they were at full strength. Maybe they would have gone small and, you know, gone point guard, uh, uh, you know, Powers, uh, McBride, uh, Collier, and Fowles as their starting lineup. Instead, they go big, right? And so I I think what you're seeing here and why Dantas is playing better recently is now she knows where she's going to be and that maybe this, you know, especially when you have success with it, it just builds so much confidence in you. And she's, you know, I think a player whose confidence can go up and down and, and things like that. So, you know, I think especially for Dantas, just having more of a steady role has really helped her able to step into this position. And, you know, they just need her to do simple things. That's the thing is that, you know, they have other players who can be more high usage you know, even in the starting lineup with with Fowles and, and Collier, you know, obviously, but then, you know, McBride and, you know, maybe another guard coming off the bench. So they don't need her to do much. They don't need Dantas to be out here creating shots and stuff. She is a fantastic passer. So, you know, they can use her at the elbows doing that kind of thing. Um, but really, they just need her to, you know, be in there, play defense, get rebounds and then be willing to be a catch and shoot player from three. I mean, she can't she's such a good shooter when she just like puts her head down and shoots it. And, you know, you know, numbers are pretty good this year. I mean, she's only as probably about league average. She's shooting uh, nearly thirty-five percent on four and a half threes a game. So that's a pretty good, um, you know, volume for her. It's a pretty good number. It's not not great, but it's not bad at all. I mean, when you're shooting nearly five a game, you're gonna shoot thirty-five percent. That's all right. Um, so you know, but, I think, but that's also that's including the whole season. Yes, you, I, I I bet if you split it into like yep last for, ten you know, or yeah yeah because. What she's done, you know, in the first, I, I don't like saying halves is just getting confusing at this point. Because we're what two thirds <laughs> yeah. done with the season. Yeah, I yeah, keep yeah. talking like it's the second half. But like, if you were to break up the games played into two halves, I think if you look at it, the first half of the games, it would very much so be her shot just wasn't falling at all. I don't care how many she was taking. Now. She, I, I, I'm not looking at the stats now, so I can't. I just, I just ran it. I just ran it. She's shooting now. She's up to five and a half threes a game, and she's up to forty-one percent. This is in the last seven games. So in their seven-game winning streak, uh, you know her percentage is up to forty-one on even higher volume. That's what I'm saying. Like what? Because and and to your point of her with that confidence when she's hitting that shot. You like the other teams? Excuse my language. Are just screwed. Like yeah, it's a wrap. You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? Because if you bring the help out, right, because she's playing the four, if you bring the help out, Sill's got a one-on-one matchup yep. or a one point, a one-on-one point five. Like, <laughs> yeah. what, you're going to put a, a two on Sill? Come on. Yeah, like, that. Yeah. that's a joke. Sill's going to make chump change of, of anybody in the league that you put in that. Maybe she'll miss a couple of bunnies, but, I mean, the stats she's been dropping this season, underratedly amazing also. And then you can also – Okay, well, Dantas is pulled out and and Fee's also pulled out, but then you can drop Fee in. Like, that's the beauty of having Fee. And I don't think, I think Lynx fans talk about it enough, or a lot, I shouldn't say enough, but I don't think the rest of the WNBA world truly understands how versatile Nafisa Collier is. 
so often, at least from my perspective, if you're not closely watching a Minnesota Lynx game, and if you watch the highlights, it looks a lot more like she is a in-the-paint points player. Mm-hmm. But she has the ability to do it at every level. And honestly, what I've liked is this season, it hasn't been perfect, but she's starting to show much more of an element of ball dribble skills and create her own shot. And that's that's the growth that you need to see from her if she's going to get to that MVP caliber play. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so well said, you know, and I think – you know, Fee is is someone who, again, she started, you know, she missed the first few games, you know, she was overseas and stuff, and then she came back and wasn't playing great. Um, you know, she's still struggling from behind the three-point line, only shooting 25% on uh, nearly three threes a game. But, you know, she has improved in, in, in every other aspect of her game every season she's played in the WNBA, and it has continued this year. Um, and, yeah, it's, she's so versatile. She's so, you know, for, for Cheryl Reeve to have this tool at her disposal to put her in so many different positions. And, again, she's just such a matchup nightmare at the three. You put someone smaller at her, you know, she's going to bury you with a, you know, with a post up in the in the charge circle uh you put someone uh you know bigger on her and like you said she can take them out and you know do some do do something off the bounce and create that way so it's really a nightmare for 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 uh, matchups there for her and yeah i guess uh, you know uh, talking about uh you know the windsider uh, film room show again she kind of reminds me of um hamby in that kind of way as far as the um underrated aspect of things right she doesn't you know have these highlight plays she's not crossing people up and, you know, putting a move on you at the rim or anything like that. But like she just gets it done all over the court, you know, so it's not going to be necessarily someone who, you know, the, you know, the more casual fans going to see as, you know, it's not, it's not some Goomba Wale type stuff out there or something like that. So, you know, she's just so solid. But if you're, if you're, if you know what you're watching basketball wise, you, if you appreciate deflections and, you know, just kind of being everywhere and being someone who, you know, can just do a little bit of everything, then, you know, I think, uh, you know, you can see what Collier, um, is doing out there but you know I think you yeah, as she continues to grow in this league you know as a player and gets a little bit older and stuff like that you know she's she's going to be up there in MVP voting someday um, you know so so yeah and I think to, to your point she's right too about just working on the handle and being able to face up and do some things there um, you know kind of having shades of Candace Parker a little bit in that kind of way so you know a bright future for Fee for sure but it's really great to see where she is uh, already in year three I believe so hearing yeah. you talk about her like that I, this is the weirdest comparison that nobody's <laughs> ever made about Nafisa. <laughs> Let's go. Rebecca Brunson. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, again, I, a nightmare matchup person, you know? Yeah, right. Like Rebecca Brunson, she's that player that if you follow the W, you know of her greatness. Yep. If you don't follow the W, you might be shocked when you see her name on all these stat sheets at the top of these rebound lists, at the mm-hmm. top of these award list you know five rings no one else has that Mm -hmm. um just really really hard-nosed player who gives it their all isn't like the most vocal isn't you know doing the flashiest things but at the same time is is like the epitome of a Cheryl Reeve player a player who is going to do all the little things because it's the little things that are going to win championships and Nafisa definitely has the ability to get to that MVP level. Like I, I, I don't mean that in a knock to Rebecca. Like she was just not that player who's going to win an MVP. Mm-hmm. But none of the teams that she was on win championships without her. Um, so 
Yeah, that's, exactly. That's weird exactly. Players. No, I think that's pretty good. And that's, you know, I think, you know, what, what Cheryl would just call a winning player, right? Just someone yeah. who you need out there to win games, even if they're not leading your team in scoring or, or whatever it is. Like, you need that player out there, does all those, like you're saying, does all the little things. And, you know, maybe like Alicia Clark is like another player like that. But, you know, just, just, uh, that's someone you got to have. And, and Fee's getting it done. And it's fantastic to see, uh, for Lynx fans there. And, you know, it's, uh, let's just hope that, uh, you know, that can continue on here for the Lynx. And then I think another thing, you mentioned K-Mac too, and I think that's someone we need to talk about briefly here because that's someone who, you know, again, talking about the, you know, confusing first and second half like terminology, She's she had a tough start to, um, you know, her tenure with the Lynx as well. Uh, you know, has been healthy, has, you know, played uh, played every single game so far and um, has been out there and been playing big minutes. But, uh, you know, just she's been solid defensively too, which goes, uh, you know, underrated there but um you know her shot everyone's looking for that shot to go in right that's that's what she is uh known for in this league and uh you know that that wasn't that wasn't going down at all to start the season and and finally things have turned around there um you know now she's up to nearly 39 percent on five and a half threes uh for the whole season too so you know that is that is very welcome because that is sort of what you know we thought this team could really be good at this year is really having they have so many good shooters on this team but it just wasn't going down like that uh, early on and again if we take the last seven games for the links here during that that win streak she's up to nearly 45 percent so yeah. you know things are things are looking up for her and, I, and I, it's just it's just great to see because she seems like she really wants to be in Minnesota is really you know really wanted to make that change in her life from from Vegas over here and and so to see it kind of work out for her um, is nice and just kind of what the team expected. But what have you seen from Caleb McBride and sort of where do you see like, you know, what what she can bring to uh, the team, you know, working for her here in this uh, these last uh, 13 games for the Lynx? At some point, I'm going to have to stop saying it. But because we're on a Minnesota Lynx podcast, uh-huh. I have to say it. I have for years called Caleb McBride. The poor man's Maya Moore. And that's not <laughs> a knock to yep. anybody. And like, I hope that everyone understands what I'm saying when I say this. Like, uh-huh. there's so many elements of her game that remind me of Maya, but yeah. she's like, she's not Maya Moore, right? Like, Maya Moore is arguably the greatest WNBA player of all time. Yeah. Arguably one of the greatest, you know, bas- top five basketball players of all time. I don't that's care, right. league, gender, whatever. Yeah. Um, professional my whatever um so definitely not an insult in any way and in my opinion it's a compliment and she does so many of those things but the difference for me with Kayla McBride is the confidence Mm. and what I saw early on was much more so early on in the season and I don't even necessarily need her need mean her confidence I mean the team's confidence in her and I think I referenced this already I think she brought this up at one point during the season just what the confidence of her team does for her and to see her in the early games where she was struggling there was times where they were feeding her but there was also a lot of times that like I get where she was coming from saying she didn't really feel the confidence in her team there's open passes people were passing up to get to her players wanted to take it to the paint and score for themselves versus you know feed her for a better shot for a better look but the bigger thing was that I felt like when she was getting the ball she was and again this is just for me watching in my perspective it looked like she was forcing some shots because she was in her mind with the sense of if I don't shoot now when's the next time I touch the ball 
And that's never something that you want a shooter to have to think about. You want a shooter, and if memory serves, Cheryl Reeve and some of the coaches spoke about this aspect of saying to her, we don't care, shoot it. Don't Mm -hmm. think about, are you going to get the ball again, whatever. Shoot it because you're a shooter. We trust your basketball IQ. We trust your shot selection. Go for it. Are you going to have some off days? Yeah. Are you going to have some bad shots? Yeah. But go for it. And what I've seen since then is, and I don't know, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg, the confidence in the team in her or her to say, I'm not going to worry about it and know that they have confidence in me. So I don't know which happened first. But what I will say is now it looks like she's confident shooting the ball and isn't, you know, taking a split second to think about anything. Yeah, and that matters a lot. I mean, I brought it up with Dantas too, of just like, don't pump fake, just just let it fly, you know. And yeah, I think for McBride too, especially for her, you know, again making the making the you know the change from you know being on you know the Aces where she'd been her whole career, and then choosing to you know change up and play for a different coach, play for a different team, like that that's a that's a huge change for especially in the W like players don't change teams that often like it's a more rare thing and you know for her to you know I just think it was a adjustment period all the way around you know Lynx had lots of new bodies coming in and and everything so you know that's to be expected that you're going to have uh you know your first 10 games or so on a new team there's going to be you know there's going to be some some growing pains there and there's going to be some things to work through no matter who the player is but yeah especially for McBride I mean she was kind of the headline player from from that free agency period for the Lynx to, to get and she probably felt a lot of pressure to knock down shots and you know to kind of be that all-star level player um, that she's being billed as and, and stuff so you know you can see where that would be hard and especially for a shooter it's you know no matter how good of a shooter you are you're going to through, go through cold streaks and you just kind of keep got to shoot your way out of it and so that can be really hard but it seems like you know at, at least she had that good stretch there in the middle we'll see you know how she plays coming out of the break here but you know at least now she does you know like your, to your point with the confidence like she can at least understand okay now I've done it in the Lynx uniform I know what it feels like uh, she talks about the fans all the time like the comfort level seems to be uh, there from her and I feel like that's kind of just like a running um, sort of theme through all this that we're talking about as far as comfort you know regarding Dantas now regarding uh, McBride and really just the whole to me I think that's just where the Lynx are right now and where you hope that they can remain for the rest of the season is like all right we worked out the kinks uh, we kind of know who our who our roster is right now. Like, let's go and do this now. So uh, that's kind of I think what Lynx fans should you know be hoping for here in the second half and these final thirteen games is to you know just continue on where they had been um, there to wrap up the first half of the season. Um, so yeah, hopefully Kmac can keep playing that way. And it seems like all the roles have been solidified with the roster and stuff like that. But speaking of roster, one thing before we look ahead to the next few games. Some rumors about uh, Cecilia Zondalassini coming over, and um, you know I think it's tough for the Lynx. They, you know, they, she's uh, Zondalassini has been uh, you know kind of on and off the team, uh, mostly off the team, frankly, since 2017. Um, but a very intriguing player over there in Italy. Um, you know, it seems like there's rumors of whether she's going to come over or not every single year. But there's some some buzz that she might join the Lynx here for the second half for the stretch run. But I think the Lynx are really up against it. I think they'd have to move a contract to be able to bring her in 
for a roster spot, for cap space. Uh, don't follow that too closely. But I don't know. What do you think about bringing in Don Delaney? Have you heard anything about something like that? And I don't know. I guess it's that you have a risk of rocking the boat, right? You ha- kind of have a good thing going right now. Um, but also I wonder if these types of things have kind of already been decided in a way. And it's just like, yep, we'll make the move we have to after the Olympic break. I wonder. It's, it seems like there's lots of moving parts here about whether Zon Delacini will come over and stuff like that. So, I don't know. What do you think about the concept of moving uh, moving someone to bring her in, and should the Lynx uh, do that? Yeah, I mean, I think that right there is the, tr- is the trouble. Uh, I'm not going to go into the numbers of it. My understanding, unless something changed, is they would have to make a trade um, to allow themselves the cap space to sign her. Mm-hmm. Um now, that being said, there's some players who might not be the uh, the greatest of agreement or whatever, but there's mm-hmm. a few players that I wouldn't be uh, against the Lynx trading just because yep. of the contract, not because of them uh, yep. as players or people, uh, but just because of contracts. But yeah, I mean, I personally am a huge Chechi fan, just huge. Mm-hmm. Um, my issue and concern is more so of too many cooks. Um, You know, in in regards to whether or not I think you don't rock the boat, uh, I've been watching Ted Lasso, if anybody else has. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Not to spoil anything, but he has a similar situation in season two where he's like, do I bring this player? Do I not? Um, And I think at the end of the day, it's kind of, you know, you have to trust the coach at that point and trust that it's a team and... Uh, that they will make the adjustments. But I will say, like, in a completely off-topic type thing, the whole time that you were talking about uh, kind of leading up to that Chechi question, hearing you talk about this team made me just think of, you know, to have consistency and continuity of your roster is so important in the W because Mm -hmm. of how short the season is, because of how many different places all of these players play and the different roles they take on in these different teams. In the NBA, they're playing year-round, or not year-round, they're playing their quote-unquote year-round on one team. And yeah, maybe like they go play for a season. national team. But that's basically it. You are playing the same role. Your life is defined by that role mm-hmm. to a degree. In the W, it's very different. And that's why we see a lot of, in my opinion, a player come out of nowhere and explode to be amazing because, hey, this past season or the past two seasons overseas, that's what they were asked to do and they were able to do it and they grow that confidence and they get to that level of play. And it's such a huge advantage in the W to have continuity of your roster because that gives you the ability to have people in defined roles. And you look at the Lynx, you look at the Sparks, you look at the Storm, the teams that have been able to succeed, heck, even the Mystics when they won, They've all had that continuity, and that's been a huge success. So I think a positive for this Lynx team is you look at these Ross, this roster and you look at the, the contracts that they have, and you're going to have them for a while. But Zandalasini, in my opinion, to a degree, is that aerial powers, that Bridget Carlton, that Kayla McBride um, style player. Obviously, those are three very different styles of player, but in that same realm of a wing. And... In my mind, bringing her in now, as much as I am a huge fan of her play and I would love to have her on the team, and I've been like chomping at the bit of the idea of having her come over, and I'm so angry she wasn't here last year just because I would have loved to see her 
take that larger role and honestly get like a marquee position on this team. Cause I truly think that she's one of those players, you know, there's a few overseas players that constantly get spoken about. Um, Iguapova is one of them. Uh, Masha over, uh, Vadiva over, uh, with the sparks. I mean, the sparks have done, uh, hate to talk about the sparks on a, on a Minnesota Lynx podcast, <laughs> but the sparks have done a great job of holding overseas talent, yeah. uh, contract rights. And Zandalcini is one of those players who, if you follow overseas, you've heard her name a lot. Has she necessarily blown up to the size, you know, as an Iguapova or a Kayla McBride? No. Speaking of, all three of them played on the same team together this past season. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I'm just, you know, I don't know positionally where CC Chechi, excuse me, would fit in. Uh, and, and that's more the issue in my opinion, at least, versus rocking the boat or versus, um, you know, the salary cap. Because the situation in my mind before Lasia joined the team was, okay, they're not getting a success with Crystal as the the main ball handler. Ariel Powers is not made to be a primary ball handler. Neither is Kayla McBride. And then you look at the rest of the roster and, like, nobody is. So that's why they needed Lasia Claret. And it was... You know, everyone wants to talk about how Clarendon did this, this, and this. It was much more so that Clarendon's style of play was exactly what they needed. A person who could, you know, control the ball, facilitate other players, understand when it's time to attack the paint so the defense can collapse. And they just weren't getting that from the other players who, quote-unquote, fit into the point guard position. Yeah, a lot of those other, a lot of those other guards, you know, whether it be Dangerfield or, you know, Powers or you know someone else, like those are shoot first. Those are more offense, you know, first players, you know, like and Clarendon is is sort of more like a Whalen type, like set things mm-hmm. up first and finish later if you have to or something like that. So I think when you have Sill, when you have Collier, yeah, a point guard who can really set the table a little bit more. And frankly, we just have so many shooters around all over, like. You just need a, a player out there that can really, you know, just facilitate more than shoot the ball. So I think that's kind of, you know, where why that's worked out a lot more. And just the defense. I mean, obviously, she's just one of the best defensive guards in the league. And Crystal is one of the worst defensive guards in the league. Like, there's a big difference there. And if you're talking about a starting level player on a Cheryl Reeve team, you better you better believe you need to defend. Um, so, yeah. So lots lots dig into there. But, yeah, it was on the and, and this is an issue, you know, overall just with the league is just with the, you know, you mentioned the short – seasons but also the short benches the fact that there's only 12 players like it makes it really hard for you to add in a player like this in the midseason because hey they're gonna have to play and no matter what you know it's like so it's it's really tricky it's not like someone you can bring over and kind of have them down later on your bench and you know it's just for emergencies and stuff like that and you can kind of work them into your system and especially with Chechi and all these other international players it's just so hard in the WNBA to get anything going any consistency going because they always have to show up late like Chechi's I don't think she's ever been here for a training camp maybe one season she was here for training camp or something so you know that's just so hard to come in midstream and have to pick up what the team's doing especially if they're already playing well so it's really challenging for you know any it's hard to see how it would make a lot of sense um for them to bring in Chechi at this point but yeah you just hope that some I just don't know how it's going to make sense for her with you know her international commitments and how well she does over there and her home country being in Italy and stuff like that it makes sense for her to like commit to being 
being here for a whole season or something like that when she doesn't get paid nearly as much and all that stuff. She's still like on a pretty low contract, I think. So that's that's tough. But yeah, who knows? I think it's still a possibility, but it seems like the links are good as they are. And well, you know, and well, the one other thing I was going to say is if I'm show Reeve, I'm, you know, as much as like it stinks to not have a player of, of Chechi's skill set to come over. I'm not giving up the the rights to her contract. Right. No. I, like I'm grasping that with my cold dead hands because she's that good. Well, and there's no I don't think there's much downside, right? There's no downside to keeping the rights on. Like maybe you got to pay her a little bit here and there, but it's not like they're losing out or they have to hold a, a roster spot for her or something like that. Like it really just behooves you to keep it as long as you can. Kind of you're saying about the sparks and stuff of being able mm-hmm. to hang on to these players, finding those ways to keep them. I'm not sure of all the ins and outs of how you do that and stuff, but they know what they're doing. They know that, you know, they hang on to the asset. There's no reason to give it up. I mean, heck, you could trade it eventually. Speaking of it as an asset, you know, if, if it's just not working, that's maybe something they could do down the line to get another draft pick or to free up space or something like that. So you at least keep it for that reason. But, you know, I just had seen the rumors, so I didn't know if you uh, had heard anything or what might happen there, but we We'll see, I suppose. I don't, yeah. I don't even know when the trade deadline is. That's probably coming up soon. It's like um, the 21st, I want to say. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's coming up in like a week or so. So uh, not much time left to make uh, tweaks to your roster, I guess. So we will be looking at that. All right, before we go, let's look. You, you kind of touched on this a little bit about the schedule looking ahead here. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of talked about it as like the rest of the way out. But let's just kind of look at the next you know, week or two weeks here. Like you said, uh, New York Liberty uh, coming up on Sunday as the team gets going again. Uh, two games in Connecticut, one in Chicago, and then home against Seattle, home against New York again. And that is that is like the toughest stretch that they have uh, remaining, um, you know, back-to-back in Connecticut and then in Chicago and then return home to play the champs. That's that's four games right there that you you better be on you better be on your best behavior you better be uh, playing some good basketball right there or you could uh, you could you know, wake up with another zero and four on you right there so um, that should be interesting but like you said beyond that the rest of the teams I think uh, six of their last seven are against non playoff teams as the standings are now and those three games against Indiana but um, I don't know what do what do we think uh, what are we looking for here and then just the next few weeks against uh, you know against these teams and and what should what should the links really be looking for you know as they come out of this break to to make sure things are uh you know continuing on as they wish they would be if i'm cheryl reeve the first thing that's on my mind is getting a w against the liberty <laughs> yes it's you know you you cheryl reeve uh loves competition as all great athletes uh, you know all great competitors do i guess that is a ridiculous sentence to say you gotta like it um, though you gotta like to win you know some people, right. you know just like yeah i do this well and it makes me money but some people are like no i have it in my heart i have to win oh yeah and and for them to lose that early game uh you know that heartbreaking early game against the liberty against Will um, hopkins Against Wall, exactly. <laughs> if I know Cheryl Reeve, she does not like to lose uh, to her former uh, assistant coaches. That's right. So in my mind, that's what her main focus is. I mean, like you said, they got that that little burst where they have to play the sun twice and then the storm once. Um, you know, if if I'm Minnesota, my main focus is game by game. Like, let's get back into the swing of things because we don't want. Like that, I think that's kind of the key right there is don't look too far ahead because Mm -hmm. if you do, that's when you stop, 
you know, keeping the cohesion that you've had. You start thinking about all these different things. You start thinking about the playoffs. At that point, you're biting off more than you can chew. This yeah. team needs to hit the ground running. They need to continue this streak, honestly. I mean, if this team wants to make a deep playoff run, and by that I mean win playoff games, because, yeah, you can go as a three or a four seed, or heck, even a two seed, but if you don't win games, I don't consider that a deep playoff run. Like, you had a great regular season, but... You know, you kind of copped out in the playoffs. But so for me, it's, you know, if Minnesota really wants a deep playoff run, it's about the consistency. It's about taking it game by game and honestly having that same mentality that they had for, you know, past those past seven games. I think even beyond the last seven that they won, um, you know, they they had that loss to the Wings, which was, I believe, their last loss. Yeah, I think it was. Um, but which well because they played the wings back to back right uh-huh. they win eighty five seventy three then they lose seventy seven ninety five and before that they got blown out uh, by the sky but I just think you know if if you look at it they it wasn't you know those were two kind of blips in my mind but before that those this team was already getting to that point of the seven game win streak um, and then they just had those eggs that they laid but yeah I think it, it's very much so like look now we understand what works what roles. Like we were talking about before with players, you know, fitting different roles on different teams. We know what roles you fit on this team. It's time to play that role and not forget it. Like, don't let the fact that you played on Team USA, Team Canada, um, you know, affect the role that you have accepted for this team because it is so important. I've said this for years. One of the greatest things that Cheryl Reeve did during the dynasty years was and honest and whatever we'll do this on a different episode talk about like why we say the dynasty years versus yeah. like are we still in it cuz i feel like technically you are right cuz like they've the the rebuild that they did and the turnaround that they did in my mind they're still a dynasty so we'll yeah. get to that later but the dynasty years during during that 7 year stretch when they won four championships what Cheryl Reeve was able to do and uh, what went to six championships, five championships. Yeah. Um, what Cheryl Reeve was able to do was find vet players and say, this is your role. I know you can play this role. Don't, you're going to eat, drink and sleep this role. I don't care if you play overseas. I don't like, it was so well defined and it was mm-hmm. so easy to plug and play. And that's the success, like the secret to success for the Minnesota Lynx, in my opinion, is Having a coach who is uh, one of the smartest basketball minds in the world, but also to have a coach who can say, "I like this is your role, right?" When you give mm-hmm. someone, when, when you say to somebody, "Your job is you're gonna make a pancake," that's the only thing you're gonna make. That pancake better be freaking delicious, right? Like that better be some amazing pancake. You better understand. You know, how to make it a giant fluffy one the best way. How to do that. Like, you need to know that role inside and out like the back of your hand. And if this team, can, like, they showed that they did in those seven games. Can they continue that uh, and, and just play their role? Oh, all right, you're making me hungry now. I got the pancake talking here. I'm a breakfast person. 
Um, you know, that's that sounds wonderful. We 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 better get to the kitchen after this podcast. But yeah, I mean, your your analogy is well taken. Though. It's the idea of doing one thing well, right? It's like you want to go to the pancake stand. They only make one kind, and it's just like, yep, get that one. That's the only kind. They they just nail that. Yeah. That's, that's what they know how to do. So do that. So yeah, that your your point about the yeah about having vets who can just do one thing and just nail that one skill. That's super important. Uh, but yeah, I think you know looking ahead to the final thirteen games. That's that's our job. That's the press. That's the media. That's the fans. We're gonna look the big picture. But yeah, for the team. Cheryl's got to keep them on one game at a time because it's way too easy to look ahead to the playoffs, especially with kind of their little bit softer schedule. You know, she doesn't want them looking ahead. I think, yeah, it's her best interest to play back some of that tape from those last seven games and be like, here's what we were doing. Let's keep this going. Here's here's the rebounding. Here's the transition defense. Here's the things that we were doing so well. Let's get back to that because we were playing well enough to beat anybody. We beat the Aces. You know, we beat some top teams during this stretch. Let's get out there and do that same thing and let the rest of it handle itself. So, yeah, I think that's key is just like trying to get these players to focus on one game at a time and really just try and get back to emulating what they were doing in those seven games because they were they were gangbusters. They were fantastic in that time. So, yep, that should be interesting to watch. Uh, the Lynx are back on Sunday against New York. And uh, it'll be big for the fans, too. Uh, Target Center is being uh, opened up, uh, more seating is uh is uh being opened up so uh it was still pretty limited there in july but uh season ticket holders are happy they get their quote-unquote old seats or like their regular seats back so fans will be sitting closer there'll be more fans in there so hopefully target center is an even tougher place to play selfishly on the press side of things we've been up in the suite level which is very nice don't get me wrong but uh you know it's kind of far away so i'm, I'm hoping to get back down to our uh nearly courtside uh corner behind the links bench kind of seating i think that might be the case for us as well maybe not maybe we'll still be uh you know quarantined to the rooftops or whatever but uh i'm excited for the second half of the season for that point too just for the fans and then hopefully for us in the media to be able to get a little bit closer and who knows maybe speak to another human in person i don't know i don't know i don't know we'll see i I can hope right we'll see we'll see (laughs) about that (laughs) fingers crossed fingers crossed yeah fingers crossed but yes uh aria schwartz links talk show make sure everybody uh go follow windsider on all the social media um platforms um and again um you know we'll link to rea's uh twitter in the show notes as well as the windsider podcast windsider show go check that out that's a very good show rachel galligan's on there all the time lots of good uh voices you'll hear on there lots of smart WNBA folks on there and then the Winsider Film Room over on YouTube okay Winsider is doing it real big they're showing you how it should be done so go support them you know we want to see more things like Winsider out there and the only way to do that is to support Winsider and the other folks like them who are going above and beyond uh, to really broaden the coverage of women's basketball and women's sports Um, REA anything else that you want to talk about before we go here you know, uh, you just plugged so well. I feel I'm I'm glad. Uh, right. No, I, I I'm a huge fan of this podcast. I'm a huge fan of your work. Uh, I fanboyed out the first time we met. Not gonna lie. Aww, <laughs> um, that was. But uh, yeah, no, and and hopefully uh, you and I will uh, get to see each other face to face in Minnesota. 
and catch a Lynx game. I know. Aria is coming to uh, coming to Minnesota, you guys. So um, be on the lookout for the most red hair you've ever seen. And <laughs> um, and it's probably him if, if you do see that. You know, it's, it's either him or Carrot Top, and, and that's it. Uh, you know, and I'm probably are... shamelessly wearing Windsider merch. <laughs> <laughs> right. You'll see a Windsider hoodie underneath the Simone Augustus jersey, and you'll know. You'll know that it's him right there. Uh, back in his old stomping grounds, and yeah, maybe we'll get to hang out. We'll, we'll definitely hang out, whether it's a Target Center or not, we'll see. Um, but yeah, Arya, thanks for joining the show. Uh, best of luck to you for the rest of the season, and make sure everybody go check out Windsider. Go get it, go get it. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch up uh, with everybody on the next episode of the Los Links Talk Show. Goodbye.